Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is um, Monday, June 2nd, 2014. This is episode number 158. Okay, then the title of this episode is Free Will, Refutation, Cost, Climate Change Denial, Part 1. This is like basically what this episode is going to be about in the next three, four, I don't know how many it's going to take for me to do this, but I just published this book, okay, a very brief, short book, Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. And so basically, this series is going to be reviewing the contents of this book. So like, you don't even have to go out and buy it, because, you know, I'm just going to go through the entire book um, with it. And so like, the premise is, here's the... um, We've been doing this show since um, November 2010, so like about three and a half years. And the meetup in Manhattan that started this entire initiative um, started, I think, in April 2010. So that's four, four years. And basically, you know, people are beginning to understand that we don't have a free will. I mean, because of, because of this show, because of that meetup and our Manhattan show, you know, the New York Times, Time Magazine, Scientific American, just many, many major publications began to cover this. Sam Harris, a three times New York Times bestselling author and neuro- neuroscientist, he published his book on it in 2012. So it's gotten some coverage. But again, I think the problem is that the idea that we don't have a free will isn't such a wonderful fact or truth to face. You know, it's like, you know, most of us like to believe that what we do is up to us. So the the premise of of this book is that the world kind of like needs to understand that this isn't just an inconsequential question. You know, this is, you know, this, the question of of human will, our, our understanding it, you know, why we don't have free will is very, very important. Okay, and before I just, I'm you know, I'm going to basically go through the book, but before I do that, I want to just, you know, as I always do, start out by describing what people mean when they say we have a free will and why we don't, just very, very quickly, and then the premise of, of how how free will um, belief, the belief in free will, just um, is not good. It is harmful for uh, to society, and actually, is a, it's probably quite definitively a, a, a prime cause, a motivator um, of climate change denial. Okay, so basically, you know, very simply, when people say they have a free will, they mean that they can just choose whatever they want and nothing that's not in their control is either influencing them or completely making them do what they do or say what they say or think what they think, all right? Very quickly, the refutation to that is so simple. Causality, cause and effect. Everything has a cause. So if every one of our decisions is caused, you have a causal regression spanning back in time, moment by moment. You know, you can do, see this through the state of the universe evolution going back in time, moment by moment. And this chain of cause and effect spans back to before we're born. So that makes free will essentially impossible. And another, another feature of this book is that I actually go through an explanation of how causality is actually a priori knowledge. A priori means it's so self-evident, it supersedes scientific evidence. You know, so I'll, I'll be getting into that in the book. Okay, so like again, though, very quickly, the premise of this book, of this work, is that um, essentially... 
In order to deny something like climate change, or one reason people deny what they deny is because they can't accept the, the perceived threat to their self-identity, to the sense of who they are. In other words, like if, if somebody's indicting a person, you know, saying, oh, you're doing something really, really wrong, and, the, the, you know, what the person is indicted of, being, of doing wrong is so counter to, to how the person sees themselves, you know, people tend to deny things like that. And that's, you know, I go through a lot of research in, in this book that, that explains how this process happens and just like, you know, cites evidence, um, social science research that demonstrates, you know, that this is in fact, a, 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 um, you know, it, it, it in fact happens. So like the, the idea with this is that like, all right, in order to, to go into denial about anything, and I, I'm going to explain this just at the beginning of every show, and then, then I'll, I'll devote some more time to it in the relevant chapter, but just very briefly, in order to deny something, to want to deny something, to need, because denial is an unconscious process, it's a response to guilt, okay? You know, you feel guilty. You know, somebody's saying you're doing something really wrong. You're, you feel guilty about it, and your unconscious can't handle it, can't deal with it, so it goes into denial, right? Now, here's the key point. In order to feel guilty about something, you have to believe you have a free will. You can't feel guilty about something that you understand you don't have any control over. You know, like... Well, it's a simple concept, you know, like if, 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 if you know that what you do, let, let's, um, let's say somebody like you're in a, in a bar and somebody spikes your drink or something, right? And like, so like, as a result of that, you do something against the law or whatever, right? So like, because you know that, that like that, whatever agent was in your drink caused you to do what you did, you, you wouldn't feel guilty about it. So you wouldn't have to go into denial. But with climate change, okay, the climate change, the thing is like, According to our best science, you know, it, it threatens the lives of billions of people, you know, and, it, you know, not, not this decade or the next, but over the next 50 years, over the next 100 years, it's a very, very threatening impact on, on, on the world, on life on the planet. And so scientists are telling people, you know, we're causing it, okay? So many, you know, many people can't face this fact. Pew Research did a... Um, um, a survey back, you know, earlier this year, actually, 2014, and they found that only 44% of Americans believe that there's solid evidence that climate change is happening and that, that we're causing it. So, like, you know, that, that 66% of Americans are in denial about it. And so, like, this book explains not all of the denial. There may be some denial, for example, like, you know, there's a, a saying that, like, you can't expect somebody to believe something um, whose job it depends that, that he doesn't believe in. In other words, like some people, for example, are making a lot of money on, in the oil industry, and they don't want to believe climate change is happening because, like, to the extent it's happening, we, we have to, like, consume less oil, and they'd make less money and all. So, you know, guilt isn't the only reason for our denial. But, see, that, that self-motivation um, example that I just cited, that doesn't apply to that many people. You know, not that many people are invested in, in, in the energy industry. Most, most of the denial for climate change, I believe, happens because of the guilt, because, like, people can't face the fact 
that we're doing something so potentially threatening to the planet. All right, so let's begin. Let's get it. Again, the book is Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. And we're just going to go through it right from the very beginning. Um, okay, I just published it in April 2014. And the dedication, it's like for future generations of scientists who will likely lead our world to accept the causal nature of human will and engineer a profoundly new and evolved civilization predicated on maximizing the benefits to humanity of understanding the far-reaching implications of this powerful, essential truth. I'm not going to be reading a lot, okay? You know, I just like, just wanted to read that inscription, but I'm just basically going to be paraphrasing what's in the book and explaining it in more detail. Okay, might as well go through the table of contents, though, all right? Um, first, like, I go through an outline of what, you know, the book is about. Then chapter two is causality and human will. Basically, that's how causality, and this is like, I'm limiting this book to a physics-based refutation of free will. There's other psychological ways of refuting free will, like the existence of the unconscious. But this book, you know, deals exclusively with the physics, you know, the quantum mechanics and the classical mechanics that refutes free will. So that's chapter two. Chapter two, three goes into refutation of published free will defenses. What I do is I review four published defenses in, in, in peer review articles that they, they're defending free will, so I basically break apart their arguments and show how they're flawed, show how they, they don't really defend free will. Um, okay, so like, we'll get into that. Then chapter four is an interesting chapter. There, in um, 2008, two researchers, Vuz and, and Schooler, published a study saying, well, you know, like we, we, we got people to believe they don't have a free will, and we tested them on this, you know, this test in the lab, and they cheated a bit more than, than the people who believed they had free will on this test, all right? What I do is I critique this study. I find it flawed. It's not a very good uh, study. It's, in fact, quite biased. And then, like, after doing that, I, um, I basically propose, you know, a, a heavily referenced lit litany of, of um, ways that actually free will belief causes a lot of harm in, in society. You know, increased aggression, increased blaming, increased anger, increased vengeance, revenge, depression, anxiety. You know, you wouldn't believe it. So, all right, so that, that's an important chapter. But after that, after setting the premise for, like, how free will belief can actually be quite harmful, you know, on a personal and societal level, then I link the belief to climate change denial. And again, I cite some researchers who have, have studied, you know, climate change denial, reached some conclusions that it's based on blaming themselves, feeling guilty. And then what I do is tie their findings to the thesis of the book that without the free will belief, this denial wouldn't be happening. And so in other, in other words, the, the, um, the conclusion of the book is in order to successfully mitigate and adapt to climate change, we need to address and overcome this free will belief, you know, that's causing this denial. Okay, and then finally there's a conclusion about just like how this, the idea that free will is a belief and that it's a wrong belief and it has many harmful consequences and we, sh we, absolutely, we, we really need to overcome it. You know, how this like kind of opens up, you know, expansive new areas of research in psychology and sociology and all. All right, and, and, like, and the book is heavily referenced. There's 50 citations to the different, you know, articles or research articles that, that I reference in, in, in the text. Okay, so let's, let's begin. Um, 
All right, I start out again, chapter one, the outline, and I, I love this quote. You know, like I've used it as the opening of my first 100 shows, you know, episodes of, of this TV show. And it's a quote that, um, that I found in Susan Blackmore's book, Conversations on Consciousness. I think the, the subtitle is What the Great Minds Think About Consciousness, Free Will, and Something Else. But like on page two, 206 of this book, basically Susan Blackmore is interviewing these, these eminent minds. And so she, she interviews John Searle, who um, in this encyclopedia of of philosophy, you know, they, they, they did a survey of philosophers who were born after 1900, okay? Then they wanted to, to, to determine which of them was cited the most, you know, or, or which, which philosophers were cited the most in, in, in this, you know, um, index of, of philosophers. So it turned out that this guy, John Searle, he's about, I don't know, 80, 80 85, whatever, he was cited as number 13 in this list, you know, of, of the most cited philosophers. So he's, he's quite popular, quite eminent. So anyway, so Susan Blackmore asks him, you know, for, for her book that was published in 2005, you know, what would it mean to the world, you know, if the world would acknowledge that free will is an, an illusion, you know, what, what would that mean? And, his, and what he said, and I'm quoting, that it would represent, quote, a bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein or Copernicus or Newton or Galileo or Darwin. It would alter our whole conception of our relation with the universe, end quote. Okay, and that's, that's how big this is, all right? You know, like, you know, discovering that the sun doesn't revolve around us, we revolve around it, was important. Evolution was important. The, the discovery that our world isn't flat was important. But because this truth of the fundamental nature of human will is so integral to who we are, these other, you know, the Einstein, Copernicus, these exper experiments or um, discoveries really pale in comparison to this, to this revolutionary discovery truth. I mean, it's not a discovery because I'm basically, it's been known for, for millennia, you know, uh, essentially. Uh, Leucippus, I think um, 380 or 350 BC, perhaps, he was the first person who, um, Greek philosopher, he said nothing happens at random, everything for, um, for a reason and for a cause or something like that. So he understood that, you know, free will is impossible back then. But, but it's only now, and actually it's only now through this show and the meetup that I began in, um, in Manhattan and the buzz it created, because like, you know, basically, um, and, and our Manhattan show was with huge. In other words, like, people didn't think about this before because the, the, the debate was limited to academia. And so like these philosophers and psychologists would write articles that were just basically directed toward other philosophers and psychologists. They never really made an attempt to bring it out into the public, mainly because most of them believe in free will. They didn't want the news to be out. So like, you know, so like what happened like in 2010 with my meetup, I, I, I live in White Plains here, but I decided to found it and hold it in, in midtown Manhattan uh, between um, on Madison Avenue uh, between 55th and 56th streets in order to like, there's like, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people within the 22 million um, people population of the, uh, the New York City metropolitan area, which includes New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York. Okay, so like, basically the premise was that like, 
of those many, many meetup members that really go into the city from, you know, as far away as like an hour away, um, that many, many hundreds of thousands, and by now certainly millions of people would have like not joined my meetup because like, you know, our meetup only has, let's say about 210 people right now. But they would have like, while looking for other meetups, they would have encountered the, the, the title of our meetup, which was initially it was like the predetermined will society, busting the free will myth. Then I changed it for a while to, um, this is a promotion for the whatever, to, um, to do we have a free will. And now the title is the same title as this show, Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. So like millions of times when people are looking for an event in the city to go to, you know, like it's held the first Saturday of each month, okay, two o'clock at the Sony Plaza. Um, they will, they will notice that, and so it'll get them thinking, huh, free will is an illusion? And so then they'll think about it, they'll talk about it. That's creating a buzz, and so that's what led ultimately to the, um, to the, the breakthrough, the, you know, the, um, the profusion of, of, of media coverage in 2010, 2011, and especially in 2012. It took a, a bit of a while to build up. And the other part, you know, while we're on this, um, my very good friend Nick and I, he was going by the um, stage name Manel when we first started. Actually, he was the messenger. He didn't want to use even a name back then. But uh, he lives in Manhattan, and we produced a show there on Manhattan Neighborhood Network, MNN, that um, initially we were, like, live pretty much every week at 11 o'clock on Wednesdays. And again, you know, that's a Time Warner cable channel where um, there's one point. 5 million subscribers in New York City that subscribe to that. Naturally, not all of them will watch it. But again, the, the idea behind this campaign, one of the ideas was that when people scroll through the online TV guide to see what they're going to watch, they encountered the, uh, uh, the name of our show. Initially, that show was called The Myth of Free Will. Then we changed it to No Free Will. And now it's called Free Will with a question mark. But like, you know, you know, Along with the other shows that people would see on the screen, they would encounter that. They'd say, "Ha, huh, what is this about? What do, you, what do you mean we don't have a free will? they talk about it, and that's how we created the buzz that, that led to the profusion. All right, so anyway, so like, and the reason I'm saying this, like, this, this quote by Black, by um, Searle, you know, I used it because it really, really does, um, he got it. I mean, I, I, I couldn't have come up with a better quote you know, in terms of like the significance of this, this um, discovery, this truth to the world. It, it's a bigger revolution in our thinking than, than essentially what he's saying than any other revolution that, that we've ever had. That's, that's why he lists Einstein and, and these great, you know, Darwin. I mean, these are the, the top scientists of the world. All right. So like, so basically this is big. And again, the book is about that it's not just a big philosophical truth that doesn't have impact on our life. Not only does it have impact on our personal lives, our societal lives, as this book describes, it has undeniable and unignorable, you, you, you know, it, 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 for our world to ignore and dismiss the link between free will belief and climate change denial would be reckless and truly unwise. So I have a feeling like over, over the next year, uh, few years, you're going to be hearing more about this. All right. So like basically I start out with 
what the traditional challenge to free will is, and that's determinism. So in other words, like what I explained before in the show, everything has a cause, okay? So like there's a cause to our decision, then there's a cause to that cause, and there's a cause to that cause, and these causes are always going back in time because a, a cause can never come after the effect. It has to always come before the effect. So each cause, you know, is at least a moment back in time. There's different ways of explaining the causality, but the, the main point is that everything has a uh, cause, and this chain of cause and effect going back in time spans back to before we were born, making free will completely impossible. Okay, so then I go into, like, there's some psychologists, like this guy ba Baumeister, who, um, who they claim, he, he claimed that, um, that basically... Determinism, this cause and effect stuff, has not been proved, nor can it be proved, okay, um, in his, his article in 2008. And then there's some philosophers like uh, Mealy, who, who, and so like, well, these guys actually, Baumeister and Mealy, these are two of the four um, authors of the articles that I'll be critiquing, you know, later in the book. But Mealy says that, you know, free will has not been disproved by science, okay? So like... All right, so my response to that, and I want to read this because, like, it's good. While science deals with levels of confidence rather than proof, in other words, like, science doesn't deal with proof. So for, for them to say it hasn't proved, you know, um, science hasn't proved free will, they don't understand science, you know, unfortunately. And, and Baumeister is a psychologist, so he should. So anyway, like, while science deals with levels of confidence rather than proof, I argue that science evidences the causality at the heart of determinism and refutes free will with a level of confidence comparable to our knowledge that the universe exists and that, is in, that it is in constant motion. Okay, so like very briefly, what I'm referring to here is the a priori nature of this principle, this law of causality, otherwise known as cause and effect. Some people refer to it as causation. So in other words, like, might as well just like get right, right to it right now. Um, basically, a priori means that it's so evident, it's completely irrefutable, it's unequivocal, it's, it's like... It's categorically true. You can't deny it. In other words, like the first a priori fact, truth of the universe is that it exists. Okay, I don't. It doesn't matter. You might want to like refer to it as a dream, or or you might want to like say that there's many universes, but those many universes would have to be a part of this one total reality. So in other words, the universe reality exists. You can't deny that. Okay, it's a priori. Okay, and so the, the second a priori fact of the universe is that it is in motion, okay? It isn't, there, things are, you know, things are not just still. If everything was motionless, nothing would be happening. We wouldn't be doing this show, all right? Nothing, the planets wouldn't have formed, galaxies wouldn't have formed, there would be no life on the planet. You know, without motion, okay, nothing would happen. So, like, what is motion? And I'm getting to the heart of, of basically the thesis of this book that basically it's an original thesis. You know, to my knowledge, no author, no um, scientist or philosopher has yet proposed the uh, principle and law of cause and effect as so fundamental to nature that it is a priori. It's unquestionable. So the reasoning behind that is like if the universe is a priori exist. It, it exists, and that's a priori knowledge. And motion is a priori. What is motion? What is change? Change, most fundamentally, is one particle being at one position 
in our universe at one moment of the universe than being at a different position the next moment or some subsequent moment. Because, like, you have to realize in, in physics, everything is mass energy. Everything is like, you know, particles moving through space. That's what reality is. So when you think about it, well, our knowledge of what causes a particle to be at one moment, at one um, place, at one moment of the universe, and then at a different place the next moment is what we refer to as momentum. Momentum is the velocity and the direction of the particle. And it can be imparted to a particle by various means, by gravity, by different forces. There's four fundamental forces of nature, the gravity, electromagnetism, the weak nuclear force, and the strong nuclear force. They could, there could be others that we haven't discovered. But basically, you know, what happened is essentially, like, to use the Big Bang as, as the beginning of this, the Big Bang is the initial event, okay? So, like, a particle at the time of the Big Bang was a cert in a certain position. Uh, the next moment of the universe was caused by that first moment, and so the particle was in a, in a uh, second position. And again, momentum propelled that particle from its first position to the second, to the third, and onwards. Like, so basically what I'm saying, that the, the point of this is like change or motion in the universe requires causality. In other words, causality explains the momentum that moves each particle from one place to another. And the obvious um, conclusion that one reaches from that is that causality, cause and effect, is as much a priori knowledge as is the fact that change is the fundamental process of the universe, change, motion, and the a priori fact that the universe exists. Okay, and that's, you know, again, this is a very powerful proof because it's a proof that supersedes empirical evidence. And later in the book, I'll, I'll even go into how the scientific method that establishes empirical evidence actually requires causality to work. So, so in other words, like, the causality that, that refutes free will is irrefutable, and any claims that certain things are, like, uncaused or indeterministic just don't appreciate the fundamental a priori character of, of um, causality. All right, we've got a little over a minute, and um, I could get into some other stuff. We're just on page two. This could, like, take 20 episodes. Who knows? But, um, but I, I should end now, because, like, you know, then I'm going to go into, like, actually five different ways that I um, demonstrate how causality exists. And actually, I'm, I'm going to do three shows, so I'm going to do it in, in a few minutes. Um, so, all right. So, like, you know, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, the, the, the name of the book is Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. And again, if you, if you watch these episodes, you don't have to read the book, because I'm going to be going through this book page by page. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, you know, the, the shows are going to be on YouTube, so if you, don't, you, know, if you want to catch them again, and then they'll also be on iTunes. I upload them to iTunes as MP3s. Um, so, all right, so I will be back, you know, to, to continue explaining why we don't have free will. I mean, I'm not going to get, do that so much for this book, um, but, well, yeah, actually I will, but why it's especially relevant, relevant to climate change and all. Okay, thanks for watching, and I'll see you again soon. Thanks.